0: Welcome to the Spot Actor Podcast. I'm Dr. Trevor Cates. This time of year, people are continuing to talk about weight loss goals. Are you tired of the same approach? Or maybe you're confused about why you're not getting results? I hear this a lot, so I asked my guest today to come on and talk about how to reset your metabolism so you can finally achieve your weight and health goals. My guest is Dr. Alan Christensen. He is a naturopathic endocrinologist who focuses on Thyroid function, Adrenal health, and metabolism. He's been actively practicing in Scottsdale, Arizona since nineteen ninety six and is the founding physician behind integrative health. He is a New York Times best-selling author whose books include the Metabolism Reset Diet, The Adrenal Reset Diet, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Thyroid Disease. Dr. Christensen regularly appears on national media like Dr. Oz, The Doctors, and The Today Show. Dr. Christensen has been on my podcast before, and I'm really excited to have him back on. And in this interview, we're focusing on dieting and weight loss. Ultimately, the goal is to reset your metabolism. We'll talk about why. But then the end result is to help you really drop that fat and regain health. You'll want to watch until the very end of this interview because he shares lots of great information. But at the very end. He busts one weight loss myth that is actually what I was really surprised to hear him share. It makes a lot of sense, and it helps clear up one of the big reasons why people struggle with their weight. So please enjoy this interview with Dr. Alan Christensen. Alan, it's so great to have you back on my podcast.
1: Hey, Dr. Trevor, Dr. Kate. it's awesome to be with you. Any any reason to hang out is always welcome.
0: <laughs> so, of course, yes. And so last time you came on, you were talking to us about thyroid and adrenal. Um, and, but you've got something new that, you, that you're that you bringing forward because of what your patients were asking for, which is your what your patients were asking you, and I know what this is because we talked a little bit about it, is what a lot of people are asking. So it's not just your patients, right? It's a lot of people are concerned about their weight and their metabolism. And yeah. so what kind of led you, maybe you could tell the story of what led you from your last book to kind of shifting focus and doing something a little bit different?
1: Yeah, awesome question. I, I survey my readers and my patients at least once a year and I'll ask them some open-ended questions. And one of them is like, "What is your biggest, what are your biggest goals? What are your biggest struggles right now? And it's it's energy and weight, you know, that's always like the top two items. And so part of the message is, you know, what is a new approach for this? And the other part is how do they go together? You know, what's what's the tie-in? And I think most consumers have a sense that, you know, if I do some, some where the latest fad extreme diet is, sure, I could drop a pound or two, but I'm going to be miserable and I'll have cravings and I'll probably rebound. So the idea is how do you change your body? And... Like for me, if I go way back to probably second, third grade, <laughs> you know, I ate what I wanted and I played what I wanted and as much as I wanted and everything just seemed to work out. You know, I had a good weight, my energy was stable enough, but that changed. And I think many people struggle with that, you know, trying to get it right. You know, if you eat a lot of food, you've got some energy, but your weight's not where you want it. And if you starve yourself, you feel miserable, and you're exhausted, so yeah. How do you get those things back in line again?
0: Yeah, and so this is something that you noticed personally, but of course your patients were noticing this too, and maybe they were mentioning to you as one of their biggest complaints. And and I, you know, I do think it, it, weight is, especially this time of year. A lot of time people are talking about weight and how to lose weight, and it's you know, after the holidays and all of that. Uh, so it's it's great to have some more tools to help, right?
1: Yeah. You know, and the concern, when you ever you drill down with someone, the concern is weight, but when you think really hard, we actually think about waste, yeah. <laughs> about the importance of waste. Because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you know, honestly, if, if weight was the sole concern, here's the quickest weight loss hack you'll ever hear. Okay? So you go to the bottom of your scale, and you've got a switch that says LBS slash KG. <laughs> <laughs> if you flip that switch, your weight will plummet.
0: <laughs> That's a good hack. That's a good if hack. If you go
1: from pounds to kilograms, it's go down by a factor of two
0: point two. But your health isn't
1: any different, and your life isn't any different. So it really is the waste part that matters. And we get this in terms of our personal concerns about our appearance and how our bodies can move and our just our mobility and whatnot. But then we look at all the medical risks you know, body weight, body mass index. They're good predictors, but there's a lot of shortcomings. You know, a lot of people are very tall, very short, they don't really line up quite right. But but waste is a huge predictor. There's like a lot of data saying that's like the thing that matters the most.
0: Right. And so the I mean that's a big a big thing is that people oftentimes they get on the scale and they are looking at that as their primary factor. I know that when I used to do weight loss programs, we did uh, body composition testing, I would do measurements and a lot more was involved in than just how much people weigh on the scale because we know that there's some health risks associated with where that weight is, right? The weight distribution and, and all that. So when you explain a little bit about those health risks with, with being uh, with the fat and where it is and those sorts of things?
1: You know, awesome, awesome point. And for a long time, we've seen that weight has some relationship with mortality, just like how long we live, uh, diabetes risk, cardiovascular disease risk, cancer risks, brain aging, like a lot of other things as well, but those top ones especially. And then also skin health, inflammation in the body, collagen formation, you know, tissue repair, all that stuff seems to tie into this. And there have been many people to where they would seem to have these diseases or risks, even though they were not heavy. And there was also many people that were heavy per those scales, but didn't seem to get these risk factors, didn't seem to get these conditions. And for a long time, that was just an enigma. And researchers thought, what's up with this? You know, metabolic syndrome, fatty liver conditions. It overlapped with weight, but not perfectly so. And then they got more refined so looking more at even just body composition. You know, just... So now the emergent term is over fat that's used in research. I don't love any of the terms for this, in all honesty. That's that's one. There's a term tofi, you know, thin outside, fat inside. There's the term skinny fat. I don't love any of those terms. Are there better ones that you've heard for no. this, this
0: thing? No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> let's next time we get some downtime, let's make one up. We're gonna creep a <laughs> people together, we'll pick up some better terms. Right. But that's what they call that. And the new stats now, if you take people that are you know, just too heavy per body mass index, and overweight, obese, and then also those who are at a good weight, but not enough mean body mass. You put all those together per gender, per age, that's about 80 to 90% of the population. So it's pretty much everyone struggling with this. And, and the crazy thing, you know, none of us want to have a lot of visible fat for just aesthetic reasons and i've i've been there and i get what a stress that can be psychologically but but medically now we're learning that there's the there's the visceral fat we've talked about the subcutaneous fat that we have but there's also organ fat which gets around the liver and the pancreas and the crazy thing is what's this um so that's little you know air pod that's probably about 10 grams you know about two grams of organ fat is the difference between being diabetic and non-diabetic, you know? So it's, it's a huge thing. Like you said, where where it is and how much there is is a huge factor for our health.
0: Right. Absolutely. And um, so now, um, if they're if they're able to drop that fat, though, the risk significantly decreases. Right.
1: You know, if they drop the proportionate amounts, and that's 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 where diets break down because there's a million ways you can drop a few pounds, but the problem is that either you're losing as much muscle as you're losing fat, or you're going to rebound again. You're going to come back up afterward. It's if you hold your breath. Like um, there's someone in our circles who actually has the record for breath holding. Twenty two minutes. Believe it or not. Who was that? <laughs> but, yeah, if I went like two minutes, I would be panting, but I would breathe harder afterward. If I didn't breathe for a while, i breathed really hard. Mm-hmm. And the same thing occurs for food intake, but it's more gradual. You know, if you force your food intake down, you will rebound, just as sure as you're going to pant after you hold your breath. But it's a slower thing. So the trick is not so much just how to drop a few pounds, but how to selectively have fat loss from those critical areas and have that be something your body can maintain and still have lean mass afterwards <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah absolutely yeah and that's a big thing too that I noticed doing weight loss programs is that people before they come see me they would uh, say that they tried weight loss programs and ended up just losing muscle mass and yeah. on also I would monitor that lean versus fat body mass and I would definitely notice that if people you know, did certain things or didn't do certain things, they weren't following the program properly, that they would lose that lean body mass. And and so they might be getting on the scale and saying, hey, I've lost five pounds. But in fact, they've actually lost, a lot of it was lean b- body mass. So definitely don't want to be doing that. So you have this metabolism reset diet that you now have. Who is this, Who is this really good for? Who did you create this for?
1: Yeah, easiest thing is for someone that wants to see substantial waist loss and have it be lasting. And in terms of quantifying, the idea about where waist becomes unhealthy, it's it's drop-dead simple, you know. So most of us know our height. It doesn't change a whole lot throughout adulthood. And it, most of us have some idea about our waist circumference. They've defined waist-to-height ratio, and in the definition, they, they have the measurement be right around the belly button. So the, the protocol is wake up in the morning, roll out of bed, use the bathroom, don't eat yet, you know, no food, no liquids, get a good old tape measure, um, breathe in, breathe out, let it relax. Normally you're trying to keep it in, but yeah, let it, let it relax. And then just check the inches around the belly button and compare that to an accurate height. And the magic number is also drop dead simple, it's 0.5. So you want your waist circumference to be less than half of what your height is that's all so whenever it's more than that this is a good fit and what happens is that a lot of the waist measurement that's not just related to our skeletal mass and the stuff that we have to have in there is the variable expansion of the liver so yeah actual anatomical changes to the liver are the biggest thing that changes the size of waist circumference and if it's more than half of your height this can be a good fit to help reverse that in a lasting
0: way. Oh wow! Okay, that's great. And and so how how is this program different than some of the other diets out there, like caloric restriction, intermittent fasting, the keto diet? How is it different?
1: Yeah. So I stumbled across a program that was used for shown to clinically reverse type two diabetes. And this was just a groundbreaking new idea. This was about 2006. And this protocol was pretty restrictive. It was not a lot of food. It was liquid calories. It was not high-quality calories, but it would reverse diabetes. And so in our clinic, we started testing a program that used real food and used more of it, a fair amount more of it, and then also thought about protein sparing, you know, in terms of helping to keep the lean body mass, but also to keep the liver working right. So it turns out the liver has a need for essential amino acids that doesn't go away even if we're eating less food. So if you lower the food intake, you still got this need for amino acids for the liver to keep on working. And if it can't, that's part of what creates that whole rebound cycle. So we evolved off of this first protocol and we were testing it primarily for reversing diabetes and also fatty liver syndrome. And seeing it work really well but also seeing just all the benefits that would come from dropping a bunch of inches off the waist. And then also seeing many that didn't really have diabetes, they weren't aware of having fatty liver, but wanted to see some waist loss. And so that, that's how it evolved and emerged. The differences are that there's not it's not about caloric restriction. I actually think more about fuel than about calories. And I call this category fuel because we've gotten so wrapped up in, Carbs, fats, ketones—you know what's good, what's bad, what's what's the ratios. And remember when uh, my mom would say, "Don't worry about if your peas get your gravy because it all goes in the same place." You know, so <laughs> so carbs, fats, ketones—once you're talking about your liver breaking things down, using them for fuel, they're identical. They're all oxaloacetate, and the extent to which they provide fuel for your body is when they break down to oxaloacetate. There's no difference whatsoever. So I collectively think about those as the fuel load. Now, protein's different. You know, one thing I mentioned about was the liver's need for amino acids. It also affects basal metabolic rate. It also maintains lean body mass. It decreases hunger a bit more. You can make it into fuel, but it's horribly inefficient. So I think about it distinct. So with rather than just decreasing calories, it's intentionally decreasing fuel for a window of time. Because you can mix and match in any of those versions of fuel, if there's too much, your body has stress from that. And you know ketogenic diets, if they're low-fuel diets, if you're getting a low amount of total food, you can lose weight from that. Maybe a lot of muscle mass, but even if you're on a ketogenic diet, but you're not at a fuel deficit, there's no weight loss. There can be weight gain. And once you match the fuel content, there's no longer an advantage there. So the pitfall about going way too low on just total calories is the loss of lean mass and eventually the suppression of metabolism. So the trick here is focusing hard on getting enough fuel but making it low enough to where the extra fuel stuck in the liver can get burned up and get broken down. And yeah, the real goal is that whole metabolic flexibility. Like like the story I said when I was a kid where I... Ate what I wanted, and energy was stable, and weight worked out. And I see most people as being on the kind of tightrope, to where if they restrict their food enough, the weight goes down, but they're tired and they've got cravings. And if they're eating, you know, focusing on healthy food, eating what they want to, following their appetite, they're probably going to feel better, but their weight won't go down. Might even go up the wrong way. And the thing is, when you're healthy, that shouldn't happen. You know, many just assume that's the how things work, but that's not how the body should function when it's healthy.
0: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And and uh, I think that people so much, they go on these, these I guess, yo-yo diets. So they'll do a diet for a little while and then stop and then try another one and just switch around. And I think a lot of times that's, that's doing more harm than good, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, and that's
1: that's the mindset. Many think they need to live their lives on a diet. And part of what's different about this, too, is, no, this is... Go in, get it done, go out. <laughs> you know, do, make a transition, make a qualitative shift to your liver's ability to regulate your metabolism, and then afterwards, you're not a dieter anymore. You're not having to live your life that way on an ongoing basis.
0: Mm-hmm. So, can you give us an idea of sort of a like a snapshot of a day in the life of doing your program?
1: <laughs> For sure. So, there's a couple of stages. It's all set up in, in distinct stages. And there are some elements that are just basic platforms of it. And the main setup is it's, it's 28 days and you're looking at a shake for breakfast and lunch and then a meal. And that's the basic format. There are optional snacks which are available for those that they, especially the first few days, if they want more things to munch on, totally fine. But the ingredients all shift throughout the 28 days. And the first goal, many people just can't budge the scale. Their weight just won't move at all. And when we get really nerdy about what's happening, there's a lot of triglycerides trapped around their liver cells, and that's the main barrier. So the first week, the ingredients, the recipes, it's all targeting that stage of it, getting those fat cells out from around the liver cells. Then the next stage is about getting some more glycogen back. So your liver has two fuels. It's got glycogen and triglycerides. And the paradox is that you need glycogen to burn triglycerides. And people reach a state to where their livers are literally so full of triglycerides, there's no more space for glycogen. It's like you got you know two bags in one suitcase, and one bag is so big the other one won't even fit. And that's what's going on. So then we have to get the glycogen built back up again. Then we think also about the liver, how it's working. So it's always trying to get rid of junk, and it's got one type of reaction to where it's taking bad things and you know breaking them up into smaller parts. Is this prop not going to work? It wasn't an intentional prop. So yeah, you're breaking things into little parts. Then you've got to cover that up to safely get rid of it. You think about our phase one, phase two reactions. So that third step after we've got the fat out from around the cells and rebuilt the glycogen is fixing those phase one, phase two ratios. I think about it like little guys down in a mine with a coal cart. You know, there's some that are getting the coal off the wall and some that are filling the carts you've got to have those things line up. You've got to have enough cards. You've got to have them mining fast enough. But what happens is we start breaking things down faster than we can package them up. So we've got to change that ratio. And the last thing is then getting the fat out from inside of the liver cells. So each each 28 days is four distinct cycles that take the one through those steps. And the first step alone makes to where someone that could not lose body fat can lose body fat again. But then the four steps together make it to where... You regain metabolic flexibility, and now you're a non-dieter. And now, appetite, energy, body weight—they all sync up the way they should.
0: (laughs) Okay, great. So it's sort of like a reset and a way to to then go back to um, eating, but not and having to be so restrictive. So it's not like you have to do that after the 28 days. You don't keep following this diet, right?
1: Correct. I give some ideas for maintenance, but by and large, they're eating healthy. It's nothing that's too weird or unusual, and yeah, and that's the beautiful thing is that your body can change and when it's healthy, you should be able to eat a variety of good healthy foods and you should be able to do movement and activity per what your intrinsic drive levels are. And those things should sync up <laughs> when they're not something is wrong.
0: Yeah. So then, then with the with the program you kind to lead three people through what to eat, but do you also talk about exercise or other things that lifestyle changes to make that make an impact during that twenty eight days?
1: You know, awesome question. And I'm, I'm such a fan of exercise. If there was like a fountain of youth or a magic pill, that would be it. And I do encourage some during that 28 days. It's rather limited. I, I do want the body to build a function well in a low fuel state. And I still want the muscles to be stimulated and activated. So if it's a balancing act. There's some micro workouts in the program. So they're brief, but they're initiating things called the glute four receptors, which make the muscles hungry for fuel also. But they're not prolonged, and prolonged exercise is beautiful, but during this window, it ends up being more strain in the body's fuel systems. So, so, yeah, this is what works now to change things. is not the same as what works to keep things stable. So it's a distinct phase with less total exercise. And, and this is weird, but one of the biggest pitfalls people have is not doing the minimal amounts, like doing too much. Um, and that often sets people back. I've had it happen whenever someone in troubleshooting, it didn't work well for them, That almost always comes up. They were still training pretty hard or pretty intense and I love that. It's beautiful, it's so good for everything in the world but not then, not during that window. The body needs more rest and more resources to really reset and change itself again.
0: Hmm. Okay, so with these different phases, what, are, what is the feedback that the, peop- the patients that you've run for this, what is the feedback been through these different phases? What are they noticing?
1: You know, there's, they're not noticing difference, big differences from one to the next, with the exception of the first few days. People often will notice the first few days as they're transitioning in that the body has not yet been able to effectively burn its stored fuel well, and they can feel hungry. They can feel a bit edgy, but then the dramatic thing is that passes for them after about day two or three, and then they're surprised how well they're functioning, and that's and that's it. You notice know, that. The calorie math is not perfect, but each pound of fat is somewhere around 3,500 calories. And if your body is using a couple thousand calories per day, you shouldn't need, you should be okay, even if you're eating less food, because you can tap into that. So whenever your food intake goes down, and you don't feel okay, you're getting strong cravings, your energy crashes, you get brain fog. That means your body has fuel, but it can't tap into that. So that's the trick, is getting it to where your liver can be that hub, that liaison, to help transition fuel out of those stores and back into circulation. So you keep your body functioning great.
0: Okay. And that's a lot of times when people give up, is that second, third day, right? And and you know, and in, in programs where it's a change, right? That's that it mean, they're part of it's mental too, right? Of I don't know if I can do this, it's a change, it's not what I'm used to, right? So, um what so when people hit that point, do you have any suggestions on how to Ease through that time, or don't you know, just remember there's uh, there's hope at the end here. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: know, the, that's the beauty of the, the snack options. We call that category the unlimited foods. So, we've got a ton of recipes and food suggestions to where you can get satiety, you can feel filled up, you can offset that those, those feelings and, and just function great. And then, typically, after those couple of days, people often become indifferent to the snacks. They're, they're still welcome to them if they like, but most find that, yeah, take it or leave it. And, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's it is one of those things where people don't like to feel deprived, and so and I and then you know it sounds like they don't have to.
1: Right? Well, another thing that's distinct is that in many cases hunger has less to do with just overall food intake, and then one with how well the body can tap into its fuel, but the other is how stable the blood sugar is. And so a lot of folks are getting blood sugar crashes, and it's not even the level of blood sugar; it's the rate of change that often causes those symptoms. they They may not get lower than, you know, 80, but if they drop from 100 to 80 over the course of two minutes, that can trigger a lot of brain fog, or that can create fatigue or even muscle cramps or anxiety symptoms. So the program also relies heavily upon resistant starch, and that's that's crazy exciting stuff. You know, the, the slowest burning meals might take 90 minutes to peak and trough for glucose, whereas resistant starch takes about seven to nine hours. So, and then also the effects last for a full 24 hours to some degree. So when you've got that with your first few meals, which you do with all these recipes, your blood sugar is dialed in and you're not getting the cravings. Hangry is a common term now. I hear that a lot, but it completely breaks that cycle for people.
0: Mm-hmm. So I know there's, there's so many myths out there about dieting and weight loss. And I know we've, we've busted a few of them already, but what would you say are some of the top ones that maybe we haven't covered or that you want to just reiterate of you know those things that it's just they're out there and that people you, that you have to you've had to say over and over again that's not true. This is actually the, the truth.
1: You know what I hear a lot is kind of a, a 20 year old understanding about how blood sugar works and how blood sugar affects body weight. you know back back 20 years back, we thought that blood glucose came from the diet, that we ate food. We ate bread, beans, pasta, fruit, whatever, and you made that food into glucose, and that was pretty much how your blood sugar came on board. And, you know, I was managing diabetes back then, and there was a lot of lot of early proponents saying, hey, if this is the culprit, why don't we just stop consuming things that have glucose? And it seemed really intuitive, but... I would track a lot of people and I would use a 24-hour glucometer and I would track their glucose like every minute of the day for a week. And what I saw way back when was that for most people when they went very low on their intake of foods that could make glucose, their glucose became less stable. And at first I thought it had to be a fluke, but I saw it so commonly. And now what we know, now they've done studies in which they can distinguish the sugar in your blood between two categories. There's the sugar you make and the sugar that came from your food. And we call that endogenous or exogenous from inside or from outside of the body. And what we're seeing is that those that have struggles with body weight or blood sugar, metabolic syndrome, about 70% of the circulating blood glucose is not from food, it's from what the body is producing. And they're now talking about the, the leaky liver hypothesis of diabetes and obesity, that's what it's been called. So your liver is supposed to store the extra fuel and then dish that out when your body needs it. But from modern life, low nutrients, environmental toxicants, all these factors, low amount of amino acids, too much fuel, you know, poor quality fuel, the liver gets overfilled and it starts to leak. And when it starts to leak, any kind of food intake can cause your liver to dump out a lot of glucose or a lot of triglycerides or a lot of ketones. And that's because it's got no room to store and process these things. And paradoxically, it wasn't the meal that caused that; it was the liver being so full that caused that.
0: That's really interesting, and i i think I think back to how you know, unfortunately, we're exposed to so many more toxins now than we used to that people's livers have become more burdened over time. Mm-hmm. And that maybe it used to be that, you know, you ate sugar and that's what spiked blood sugar, but now it's become more complicated. I mean I, I honestly I feel like Treating patients has become more complicated than it used to be before we had as many, you know, before we got exposed to so many toxins. And so I, I'm sure you talk to about the importance of reducing toxic exposures and and all the different things you can do to support your liver. And of course, doing your whole program is going to to do that. But you know, toxins in our air, water, food, personal care products is you know, it's partly why I created. My skincare line because I was seeing so many more of my patients struggling with their their liver function and with um, the need to to do more detoxification.
1: You know, and you brought up the, the struggles with liver function. There's a thing called fatty liver disease, and I just read some numbers recently saying now that if you if you screen if you screen people between age 20 and age 70, if you screen them via ultrasound for fatty liver syndrome you'll see that about 46% of it have it to a pretty marked degree. Now, a wrinkle is that ultrasound is not definitive. There's a lot of people that have fatty liver that it doesn't show up on ultrasound. So it really is things like biopsy that are more definitive, but we never do that for a screening tool. But so we know that close to half of adults have rather progressed fatty liver disease already. And many more have that had they been screened more thoroughly for it. And that's, that's this manifestation that I'm talking about where the liver's overloaded with fuel. And that's where it's gotten more than 5% triglycerides by weight. And now it's getting gummed up. And there's a vicious cycle. So when someone's struggling with their waste, if they're above that 0.5 and weight is not stable, energy is fluctuating, it's a pretty solid case that they've got some level of this fatty liver syndrome. And that's what this is about is really identifying that and, and reversing all of it.
0: Okay, I've got your book. Um, I, it just came in the mail. I can't wait. I just been I've been looking through it, and um, I'm I'm so excited to read it. So, will you tell everybody where they can get a copy, where they can find it?
1: For sure. So, easiest thing uh, Christensen We've got links to all the places you can get that. Any bookstore will have it. You know, online retailers all have that. But we'll have some links for it directly, and we'll we'll share some special links with you as well, so they can get some bonus recipes and content, and we're also doing a free seven-day challenge. So I talked about how you can get, in that first seven days, you can get past that barrier to where if you couldn't lose weight, you can again. You can clear the fat out from around the liver cells, and we'll give you a link you can share to where anyone can do that for free, whether they've got the book or not. They can walk through that challenge and have that transformation and get a big leg up on regaining their metabolism again.
0: Great. Okay, so we'll definitely have that link up below the podcast interview on, on my website, and I think that's it's great. I mean, if you're and you're offering this for free for people,
1: yeah, mm-hmm. oh, this yep, is a seven day challenge. It'll be a, it'll be a group event. Actually, I'll be doing it live Kieran and I will. We'll be mm-hmm. showing daily recipes and talking to people, and having a lot of fun with it. But it's going to be a be a lot of fun.
0: And it's such a great thing to do that as a group, do it live, do it, um, and have that support because. With with making a change, really any change, especially when it comes around, you know, weight or changes in your diet, it's easier to do it with. I think with a group, where you, you know you have a timeline and a structure to it, because it's easy to just push it off and say, "Okay, I'm going to do that next month. Yeah. Maybe next month." <laughs> so I'm glad you're doing this and have a set date on that. Great. Well, yeah. Go ahead.
1: Well, just one last thing about putting yeah. it off, I've had many people who have done it like while they've been on cruises or on vacations or on traveling. It's actually really easy during those times because there's less food that you're managing. It's all put together, it's simplified, so so yeah, there's no there's no wrong time for it.
0: Okay, that's another myth that um, that is a good one to bring up is that you have to wait for the perfect time when you're home because <laughs> and, and, that's just an excuse to keep putting it off. So I'm glad you brought that up because it's so true. There's, you know, there's never going to be the perfect time, really. Just start it. Just do it. Um, okay. Well, Alan, Dr. Christensen, thank you so much for coming on and sharing the information. Everybody go out and get this book. And thanks again for all your information today. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing sharing this out. i was always, always happy to see you, Trevor.
0: I hope you enjoyed this interview today with Dr. Alan Christensen. And to find out more about where to get his book, how to get it, how to get that free gift that he mentioned, and to see if you're if it's still available, just go to thespadoctor.com. go to the podcast page with his interview, and you'll find all the information and links there. And while you're there, I invite you to join the spa doctor community so you don't miss any of our upcoming shows. And I also invite you to take the skin quiz. If you haven't done that, already, just go to theskinquiz.com. It's free, takes just a few moments. Find out what your skin is trying to tell you about your overall health. And you maybe even find out why how skin ties into metabolism and find out what's unique to you because when you address those root causes it helps you with your weight it helps you with your skin it helps you with your sleep so many of these things are connected and tied together when we talk about ways to lose weight and we do those things we start incorporating those and we have a healthier body it also shows up on our skin I also invite you to join me on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, YouTube, and join the conversation. And I'll see you next time on the Spot Doctor podcast.